This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That on Football CFB today by Beacon Manager, Clyde Super Scoreboard Man, former Dundee United and Celtic player Mark Wilson, the only guest I've ever had on who I've had a pint with, so Mark, thanks for joining me. <laughs> no problem, glad to be on. Um, the first question I've got, Mark, you're at Beacon, it's been a tough season, not just for yourself, the club's had a tough few seasons. Um, how much are you enjoying management, even, even though it is a, a tough situation you're in? I'm enjoying it uh, hugely. It's it's a great challenge at Breakin. I knew that when I first went in. Um, you know what the club had went through. Uh, you know the turnover of players. I knew it was going to be very difficult. But I loved the everyday challenge here. Um, even though it was only part time, or it is only part time. You know, I think any part time manager will tell you that your time's always taken up. Whether it's planning sessions, talking to players, talking to the board, the chairman. You know, so it's, you find it's almost a full-time job. Um, and it's been great. You know, when I was at Airdrie, I loved it as well. But there's no doubt with my, I think it was about a year and a half, maybe even two years out of day-to-day football. You know, I missed it hugely. So to be given the opportunity to get back in, um, I jumped at the chance. And even though things weren't going particularly planned for us, um, you know, you still enjoy the interaction with players and training, even when it's pouring the rain and snowing and parks are flooded. It's still great getting out there and enjoying it. I know you've told the story on Clyde, but just tell me about how mental the Davy for London situation really was. <laughs> Davy for London. I well, that that kind of summed up uh, where we were at that time. We're breaking. I mean, we we turned. I turned up to training. I think it was a Monday night. I turned up. And this, this guy, and the guy who who, uh, who runs a complex says to me, there's a, a boy here who's who's looking for you. I said, who is he? I don't know. I was <laughs> <laughs> some player. So eventually I'm setting, up the, I'm setting up the training and the assistant manager comes walking in with this guy who's been looking for me around the complex. And I see them chatting away. Anyway, the assistant manager walks about maybe 20, 30 yards over to me and says, do you know this guy? You, you know, behind us? I said, I looked over the shirt. I don't know him. He says, he says he's here, he says he's here uh, for a trial. I said, did you bring him? He says, no, I didn't bring him. I said, what's his name? Davy. I said, all right. He says he's came all the way from London and he's, uh, he's drove all the way. So I said, okay, I'll go over and speak to him. So I went over and spoke to the guy who was standing there and... Uh, he says, <laughs> he called me boss right away. Hi, boss. Just, uh, I wanted to tell you a bit about myself, you know, and went through his full, uh, his full CV, uh, who he'd played for, what kind of boys' club teams he'd played for, and said that he, he'd saw that Breakin were uh, at the bottom of uh, the Scottish leagues, and he thought he could help us, and he wanted to show us what he, he could do. So I had to politely say to him, look, we're preparing for a game here, but 
you know, then I, I felt bad ten minutes later. <laughs> so I let him join in the warm up, and uh, I think my judgment was correct uh, when I thought I don't think he's going to help us off the bottom of the league. But apparently, he went on to apparently he went on to uh, email other clubs and and try to get you know the guy had enthusiasm, but just didn't have the ability to match it, unfortunately. Well, I'm glad you avoided an Ali Dyer situation with him, but another <laughs> situation you could have had was Kenny Miller playing for the club, but you've also said yourself that you maybe caused Kenny to retire. <laughs> well, when uh, we were at the stage that, you know, the fans had put together a breaking a fighting fund, uh, and, you know, it's still, it's still very difficult, even though you've got the money. Or the fans actually putting their hands in their own pocket and, and giving you money to keep the club up. That's what it meant to the fans. It was still quite hard to spend that and attract players because of the situation we were in. So Kenny, Kenny obviously retires uh, or, or says he's leaving Thistle. And, you know, I just thought, you know, why not? Sent him a text just saying, look, this is the situation. Would you be willing to come and save us? And uh, to be fair, Kenny got back, you know, the... the the guy he is shows the measure of the, the guy. Um, he could have easily just ignored the message, but he got back and just says, look, I'm, I'm thinking about other options just now at the time, and I'm thinking about chucking it. And a couple of weeks later, I should enough, he retired, and we lost him to a slightly better job, I would say, than try to help us at the bottom of the league. In terms of breaking, obviously, the, the lockdown kind of has come in at a time where football's off at the moment. We don't know if the season's going to end or whatever, but... If the club does, if the season say, well, season's ended, I suppose, down at that level, but I know they're talking about the reconstruction side of it. In terms of next season, Bubrikin, are you seeing this as a fresh start where you can start building them back up again? Because people forget they were in the championship only a few years ago. Aye, I think so. I mean, there's no getting away from it that this has been a, a, a kind of blessing for us. You know, obviously not the virus, but the league's, um, you know, the league's stopping and being concluded. Now, I know we still had nine games left to play and anything was possible in the nine games and I still had confidence. Um, and then, failing that, we still had the playoff to, you know, to, to save ourselves. So, um, we still had all these opportunities. But, you know, we, we, we've got to see it as an opportunity to, to rebuild the club. You know, it's a fresh start for us. The clubs went through a couple of really bad years, but like you say, the club, I mean, a, a few years ago, I was well at my expense when I was at Airdrie that breaking one promotion to the championship, and you saw what it did to the town, the club, and now we're we're looking at, you know, we could be looking at full reconstruction of the leagues. You know, I think every club in our division has got to see it as an opportunity to to turn their their well turn the way they are round. I mean, for for guys like Edinburgh City and, and things like that who've been on the right path, they might see it as as a bad thing. But, you know, teams like us who were down at the bottom of the league, I mean, even Albion Rovers, Albion Rovers a couple of years ago, like I say, when I was at Airdrie and breaking up, Albion Rovers were in League One as well and, and doing pretty well. It's got to be the same for them. So we've got to see it as an opportunity to, to rebuild the, the playing squad. You know, it's... I think all clubs at our level, or the majority of them anyway, only sign in one-year deals. So we'll look at that, and everybody's really in the same boat. Um, you know, it'll be when the leagues do start back, or we get some sort of clarification. 
player recruitment will be huge for ourselves and every other club at our level. I wish you all the best with that because, as you say, it's a fresh start and I look forward to seeing where the journey goes for the club next season. In terms of something else that's current for yourself, you're a big member of Clyde Super Scoreboard. You, your former Airdrie colleague, director of football, Gordon DL, you, you enjoy good banter with him. What's it like working alongside him on the radio? Ah, he's great. I mean, we, we got on we got on well. Uh, we have our disagreements, of course, but it was a funny one with, with Gordon. Obviously, I knew Gordon as a player and watched him when I was a kid growing up. You know, bits and pieces. Oh, well, the games I could watch him. Not many has Wraith Rovers games were on the telly, right? You know, but <laughs> I often tell him that. But uh, the, when I was invited to go on Super Scoreboard, I was just invited to go on a random Thursday night. Jerry McCulloch asked me at the time to go on. Didn't know who I was going on with. I listened to the show, but wasn't really aware of the, the nights that these the pundits had. And I got stuck with Gordon. And, you know, we'd never met before, but we kind of had it off right away. And I kind of continued from there, um, you know, in a couple of years or a year and a half into it, you know, he gets a job at Airdrie and then he knew I was coaching at the time, you know, I won, I was coming to the probably end of my career, you know, and he asked me to go in there uh, and again, we got on fine, but, you know, it was, we had our difficult times as well where we were disagreeing things. You know, but it was it was great to to work under. Um, they are you know really took a lot of the stress off me at that time in terms of the job he was doing and and you know player recruitment. You know, learned a few things. You know, people just see him as a super scoreboard pundit, but he's uh, he's had a successful managerial career as well. So it was good for me working under him, and even now he gives me advice as well. So it's it's great. We have a great laugh, and uh, Thursday nights never it's never dull. Put it that way. Two things with Super Scoreboard I want to ask you about. Where does the nickname The Mushroom come from? And what's this deal with the takeaway driver that continually... Oh, <laughs> that guy hounds me, didn't he? <laughs> Is it Nervous Driver? I know. Unbelievable. The Mushroom. The Mushroom came from... Uh, I was having a go at Craig... Well, I wasn't having a go at Craig Levine. Craig Levine came up for something at some point. And I just... I think I said something like, he doesn't look like that fun a guy. And that was that. And somebody then tweeted in, you know, the super scoreboard callers, they're, they're on everything you say. And somebody tweeted in something along the lines of, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Mark's a fun guy. Let's all call him the mushroom. And because I'm on with Daz and Gordon, they're not they're no slow to, to take something like that up. And I, I genuinely started taking, taking the kids to school and, it just shows the, how, how the listeners pick everything up because take the kids to school, go to the shops, anything, you know, out of running the street, you know, I still get the shouts of Mushroom, which is it's not the best nickname in the world, if I'm honest, but it's stuck with me now. And the, I, the takeaway driver says that. <laughs> I don't know if I, I done a game enough tip one time, but <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's on my case all the time as well, which is quite funny. In terms of the show and the callers that come in, I mean, you know what it's like, you get you get an incredible mix of callers. I think everybody's used to Big Laurie for Deniston with his big uh, voice that's renowned. What's it like on the show? Because it can get pretty heated at times as well. It's brilliant. You know what? I, I love it. I absolutely love the job. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't too sure if I would be the right fit when I first get invited in. 
but you get to know the callers, you get to know how to handle certain situations better. You know, at the start, I, I would often get quite flustered when things when they when they go the way I wanted it to, or you get into an argument. But I think with each passing year, you know, I'm coming up to about I think it's five years now. You you get more confident and more assured of what you're saying. And and the best thing about it is nothing is scripted. That, that's the thing. I mean, other radio shows and other football platforms have a fair idea what they're going to chat about. I mean, what their running order is. What you know, you know, and 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 they can probably research that and they can probably put up a good argument. But us guys on on Super Scoreboard are, are really at the mercy of the callers. Obviously, we've got a a, a bit of a agenda just to chat us through in between calls but I mean Gordon Duncan does an incredible job of keeping that rolling um, but when I, somebody phones in generally don't know what to say obviously they get through to the producer and they, they'll say I want to talk about x y and z and they get put through the lines they might not talk about that you know and you have to be you have to be across everything you have to you know sometimes hold your temper at times you have to I don't know, be across all kind of subject matters as best you can. And I think that's the beauty of the show. And I think, well, that's certainly why I listened to it before I joined. It's, it's certainly why I still listen to it now, even when I'm not because you just never know what you're going to get. And it's great to hear sometimes arguments and debates just kick off out of absolutely nothing. And and you get your regulars, like you say, oh, if Denison's brilliant. You know, his vocabulary is unbelievable some of the times. I mean, when I was doing the Saturday show, and me and Alex Ray would be in me with Shug, me and Alex would be looking at each other and just thinking, we'll pass this one on to you because we have no idea what half of the words mean. So it's great. It's great fun, though, when you get regular ones and you get to know them. To rewind back to the very start, Mark, where and when did you start playing football? You're known, obviously, as being a fullback. Were you always a fullback, or did you start further forward and work your way back? I think I was like everybody. I don't think... The old saying goes, anybody wants to be a fullback when they, they grow up. I mean, I did say that when I was growing up, we, we did have superstars as fullback. If you remember Roberto Carlos and Cafu, they were the big ones that everybody, you know, admired. But no, I was uh, I was a centre midfielder for um, a lot of my time growing up. That was that's what I was. Um, signed for Dundee United straight out of school. And that's, that's where I played uh, most of my time. Terry Butcher and Morris Malpass were the youth team coaches at the time at Dundee United. And, uh, you know, just somebody, a fullback, right back, get injured um, uh, a couple of years up in the youth team. And they put me in as right back um, just because it was one of the players I could maybe play at a number of positions. And that was it. I got moved a bit a few times. I got moved to right back, got played at centre half, played at the middle of a three at the back. But I always felt my best position was centre midfield. And Alex Smith, when he gave me my debut for United, um, he always believed I was I was a centre midfielder. He played me there um, in his time. Uh, and even up to the stage, I think it was when I eventually signed for Celtic, we were playing against, I think it was Falkirk we were playing against. I think Alex Smith was there at Celtic Park. And he pulled, who did he pull? I think he pulled the manager, Gordon Stratton, and said, you know, he's, he has now... He isn't a right back or a left back. He's a centre midfielder, but I think there was too much competition at Celtic at that time for me to, me to even challenge in there. But I always loved playing centre midfield. I always felt that I was involved in the game more. But see, it was more of a, 
I got shunted there through somebody's injury and that just I just kind of stuck. I never moved to there uh, that much uh, as my career went on. You mentioned the fact you came through Dundee United when you leave school. See, when you get into the first team environment for the first time, what's it like and how do the big characters treat you? Because at that time, Dundee United had some fair big names. I had them were brilliant at that time. I loved Dundee United at that time. Well, when I signed 16, it was a wee bit of a transitional period for United. They had a lot of foreigners and a lot of older, like really older pros who, who weren't particularly weren't particularly nice to, to the younger boys. As the years went on, you know, and I played my youth team uh, and then I got to 17, that started to break in the first team. The, the, the full dynamic had changed. The, the, the squad had changed. And uh, Alex Smith, uh, and if you look at, uh, you know, after that, you know, Paul Hegarty and Morris Malpat at spells and then Ian McCall, uh, you know, got to get a brilliant dressing room. Uh, you know, you had Charlie, uh, Charlie Miller, you had Derek McInnes, Alan Archibald, Jim McIntyre, Billy Dodds. You know, you had you had real, real big characters in there who'd who'd been in, you know, some lively dressing rooms in their time. Andy McLaren as well in there. I mean, Andy was Andy was in his setting spell at United, and everybody knows what Andy was like back in his younger days. But you know, he wasn't much different in terms of banter and how. Uh, funny was so we it was brilliant breaking through and they looked after I think if you I think if you were the right character and you were I, I always felt that was pretty pretty quiet and didn't earth and and just did my job I think if you were like that they took care of you and and took you under their wing um but if you if you weren't like that if you were a bit of a, a bit of a wido then they weren't they weren't slow and bring you down but it was it was an incredible dressing room, probably this day, probably still the best dressing room I've been in. And that was when I was what, 18 to I was probably about 20. It was, uh, it was a funny place to be. One of the kind of iconic players I want to ask you about is um, Russell Latipe. What was he like in and around the place? Because <laughs> he always gives that impression that he's just so laid back. Aye, Russell was, Russell was unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen a guy um, in training. I used to always say it, and us younger boys used to always say we're playing five sides. Doesn't matter what team Russell was in, he would all that team would be the winning team. You know, it was incredible. His ability would just take I mean, he could play with four other absolute dummies and Russell's team would win. He was that talented and his ability was incredible. But I I mean, just laid back, funny, just <laughs> loved a cigarette, must admit, it loved uh, and I'm talking about like before the games and like just before the game in half time, so you'd smell the smoke through the toilet. Loved a night out. Um, Tuesday night, it was, I think, his, his favourite. And, of course, he was pals with Dwight York, who I think used to quite often come up to Glasgow and they used to go out. And uh, Russell used to come in with the, the bleary eye sometimes the next day, but still still be able to turn it on. And he was... Uh, you just think... I know he played at a top level. I, I know he, he played at a really, really good level, but you just think the ability the guy had, you wonder if he could have excelled, you know, in the Premier League or something like that. He was, and he was just such a nice guy to be around, but just know what you would picture a footballer's lifestyle should be. Uh, he had that, but he was funny. When you just broke into the team, it was a tough season for the club. They finished 11th, but for yourself, you get your first goal for the club. 
you get a Young Player of the Month award and you get a new deal all in quick succession. What was that like? Did you feel like you had made it in a sense at that point where you felt, I'm going to be a first-team player for years to come? No, not really, no. I, I, I tell you, I felt like my bank account had made it because I remember, I mean, at that time at United, I was on 80 quid a week, um, which, of course, isn't a lot. Um, and, and these other guys who, who you mentioned who I was playing with, Dundee United were paying quite well at that time. And uh, we finished 11th and, and we escaped relegation. And I think we got, for the, I might, if memory serves me right, we were done at Thistle or something, I'm sure, and we got two grand win bonus for, for winning that game and surviving. And I just thought, oh my God, this is, this is incredible. You know, because I've never seen money like that before. It was brilliant. And then the new deal obviously gets bumped up to nothing remarkable, but still, it was, it was great to, to have a wee bit of extra income. Um, but no, I didn't, didn't think I'd, I'd made it by any means because I was well aware how quickly things could change. I mean, there was there was a, another fullback that was much better than me at that time. Uh, Jamie McConney had broken a Dundee United a couple of years before me. I think he was 16 when he broke in. And we all looked up to Jamie. He was a, he was a brilliant player, brilliant player. And for whatever reason, after a couple of years... It just didn't work out. Another manager didn't fancy him, and it it kind of started going down. And I always felt that that might just be in the corner for anyone who's breaking into the team at that time. In Ian McCall's first full season, you finish fifth. You start playing more regularly. You score a fair few more goals. What was that season like? And what was Ian McCall like to work with over the piece? Well, over the piece, yeah, very good, very good over the piece at the start. I, I've said before that he didn't he didn't take to or he seemed he didn't like me and another boy Stephen O'Donnell who Alex Smith had put us in the first team and 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 made well aware of the press and the fans that we were going to be the next two to come through and this that the next thing and Ian didn't see it that way and you know I don't know well maybe maybe I'm being harsh on him maybe he did like us and he just wanted to bring us down to earth a wee bit but he didn't he he kind of admitted us through the 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 first team squad right away um, and he kind of made his work our way back in and you know luckily enough somebody got injured and I got back in the team and got my head down and worked and he, he quite liked that and he, he was brilliant I, 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 to be honest he, he really brought on my career and probably you know I've got a lot to thank him for my move to Celtic because at that time I mean I was just a, a you know, really a run-of-the-mill fullback, but he he played a system that allowed me to to really, you know, play almost like a wing-back in a back four up and down the right side myself. He, he moved Mark Kerr, who was right midfield, inside, so he played a narrow a narrow four, about a narrow three, and, and Barry Robson at the left, and allowed me just to run up and down. You know, it gave me responsibility, taking free kicks uh, along with Barry Robson, taking penalty kicks at a young age where he had much talented, much more talented players than me. So he really seemed to believe in me at that time. And I played some of my best football uh, under Ian McCall. And, you know, uh, I'll always, always be grateful. But he was, he was tough. He was tough on the players. You know, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, really a good motivator, um, but could lose his rag when things weren't going right, that's for sure. In terms of 2004-2005 season, so they go for the fifth place finish to have another kind of wee dip in the league. But although you dip in the league, you get the Scottish Cup final. What was the cup run like? And when you go into a final, 
against Celtic? Is it what's the preparation like? What's the nerves like? Oh well, obviously the nerves are huge. Granted, something like that. Celtic had had a disappointing end to their season that year. Um, you know the 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 big uh, the big memory I have of that one is the semi final. The semi final was was more epic for me than the final. Final was a wee bit of a damp squib, if I'm honest. Um, semi final was what you'd expect in in April or the end of April or whenever it was. That a sunny day at Hamden against Hibs, a Hibs team that that had so much talent in it and we expected to, or or most people would expect it to beat us. And I think, if memory serves is right, we went 1-0 down, we didn't play particularly well and then we score a couple of late goals and just that feeling, you know, walking off Hamden, that song by, what's that, the, the Road to Amarillo or something like that, that was just out at the time. So that was the song that stuck in my head that, you know, seeing the United fans um, dancing away to that and knowing you were going to a cup final was an incredible feeling. The final itself, as I say, Celtic went on a downer for the week before, losing the league. Uh, I think it was Martin O'Neill's maybe last year. And it was a rainy day at Hamden. Game was particularly poor. Alan Thompson scores a poor goal. And to be fair, we score, we hit the bar. Alan Archibald hits the bar for 25 yards, I think, in, in the last 10 minutes or something like that. And that's really as close as we got. Um, so it was it was disappointing, but it was always great to experience that. You know, walking at Hamden, Scottish Cup final, must have been a few years before that. I would never have thought I would have had the chance to do that, especially with Dundee United, because I know they had a fair few finals years before, but at that time, you know, I know we'd finished fifth in the league one year, but we weren't particularly, you know, great. We weren't up there with a Hibs or even Livy at that time had a lot of good players and that, so... It was a great feeling, um, and uh, listen, I wish I, I wish I could have won one for United. Uh, played in two or or was involved in two, but never got the chance to win one. In terms of the Celtic team of that era and the Rangers team as well, I always look back in that era as a sort of golden era of Scottish football. When you think of the players: Petrov, Sutton, Larson, Barry Ferguson at his peak. Um, Rangers had plenty of other players as well. Um, especially the De Boers and stuff in the kind of early 2000s. What was it like playing against those teams? Because some incredible talents when you think back now. Amazing, amazing experience, especially for a young player like me when I was breaking through. Uh, you're right in what you say. It just seemed, uh, I don't know if the teams were better, but it seemed like a better pedigree of player. You know, more more kind of stars that were coming to our game at that point. Um and when you look back at the career some of them have had now, then you think, ah, they were, you know, or what they went on to. They were superstars. So, I mean, I used to love, obviously, playing against Celtic because they were my boyhood team. But, I mean, playing against... I, I played a number of times at centre-half in a back three against Sutton, Hartson and Larson. I mean, for a young a young guy growing up, that's that's unbelievable experience. Same for Rangers, against Rangers. You know, I remember one time I, I was told to play midfield, but to man Mark Arteta, you know, at, at Tanadice. And I never got near him for, for 90 minutes. He was that good. You know, playing against Barry Ferguson again, one of the best midfielders Scotland's probably ever produced, producing my, my opinion, and, and coming up against him. Amazing experience. And and even at that, when you, you look back to Hibs teams as well, who... Who, who had top players or even playing against Lattapie before they came to United. 
was uh, it was a, a brilliant upbringing. Um, so a, a great experience, um, and I think it I think it did make me a better player. I don't think actually I don't think there's any doubt about that. It made me a better player. I, I think when you train and play against better players, you become a better player yourself. You mentioned the fact that it helps you become a better player, and that's kind of proven in the sense that you're a young player of the year nominee. There's interest in you from the Premier League. You're linked to Everton and Manchester City. See, at that time, Mark, how did you deal with that interest? See, because you were young, did you just get on with it and, and not think about it too much? Or does it kind of play in your mind subconsciously? I didn't play in my mind as such, but I, I think I think anybody would be lying to say that they weren't thinking about it and oh, they just got on with playing. Of course, I mean, when you're, when you're playing or you broke through at one of the... When I see smaller clubs, you know Celtic Rangers in Scotland, you're obviously aiming to get a move somewhere, you know, and and your dream, whether you're Celtic Rangers fans to play for Celtic or Rangers or move to the biggest league in the world. And at that time, of course, it would have been it would have been ideal for any of them. So I was exciting, must admit it was exciting, but I was well aware that it could all disappear quickly, as I said earlier in, in, in the call. Um, so it was a matter of just getting my head down and worked um, and and hopefully somebody would take a chance that's the thing somebody had to had to believe in you that much to take a chance and I'm glad in the end that it was, it was Celtic that did that In terms of their initial interest from sort of clubs you, you sign a new deal you stay at United 2005-06 it's another turbulent season for the club a few managers Chisholm's there Brewster and Dodds and caretaker charge See with the chopping and changing at Dundee United through that spell, is that ultimately in the end which made you think it was time to move on to the next challenge? Not well, not that. No, I mean Ian had left, and and in fairness, I mean I missed a penalty down at Rugby Park. Um, I think that I was nil nil or something, and like I missed a penalty down at Rugby Park. Kilmarnock went on to beat us, and Ian lost his job after that. So I felt I. Not fully responsible, but I felt bad about that. Um, and then Gordon Chisholm obviously was in charge, and it never, I never. I, I like Chis. I, I really like Chis and Chis and Dodgy, and brilliant guys. But I never really thought I, I took off under them, and always thought maybe a change was coming. But at that time, uh, there was interest from Celtic in the summer, and it then died away. And I thought I might have. I might have went. Because uh, Martin O'Neill had went and Gordon Strachan came in and he, he brought in Telfer and he brought in other players and I thought, well, it's died away now. Then I got a wee murmur that might still be on. I, I, I was then offered a new deal at Dundee United. And to be honest, I, I put in my my deal or we negotiated uh, a release cause, um, a 500,000 in there, just in case there was other interest down the line. And just by chance, when it got to the tail end of the year, um, that interest came back up and, you know, made Celtic aware that there was a £500,000 buyout clause and, and we went. So it wasn't anything to do with, you know, the chopping and change at United. I, I left, I, I'm pretty sure I signed the day that Craig Brewster came in at Dundee United. So it was a kind of crossover moment and I only got to meet Craig Brewster when I went back to say cheerio to the Dundee United boys. So, Never really had any dealings with that side yet, but I mean, I was 20, 21 about that time, 2021, I'd been at United for for five years at that point, and I thought, now this is this is a time, if you want to go and really challenge yourself and play at the top level, well, 
21's a good age to, to, to do that. I'd, I'd had 110 or 120, you know, Premier League and Scottish Cup games under my belt. So I was experienced enough at that level. And I wanted to, to go and, you know, play with the best. And I was lucky enough to go. You mentioned the fact that you're lucky enough to go. Celtic come calling. There was interest other than Celtic as well. Hearts were linked at the time with a wee bit of money. Leeds were linked. And also Wolves. Did you ever speak to Glenn Hoddle and have a chance to maybe go there? No, I never spoke to any of them. I was aware of the Hearts one with the money that they were paying. But to be fair, if there was, if it was a choice between Hearts and Celtic, I, I think everybody could understand what I was going to pick. Um, we, with the Wolves one... Wills, we had a pre-season friendly um, against Wills with Dundee United. And as much as I heard about that was Glenn Hoddle had, had maybe mentioned something to the coaching staff, but nah, nothing came through uh, concrete. Uh, so there was nothing really other, other concrete offers. We always heard that something was coming and was just around the corner. But to be honest, as soon as I heard Celtic were involved, you hear about you know, players nowadays when your clubs are involved to say, oh, or the agents advising young players, well, let's just wait a week or two to see what else comes in. And of course, the agents will then go out and prompt the other clubs, you know, such and such made an offer, are you going to, are you going to match it or better it? And it becomes a bidding more. When I heard, I'm being totally honest, when I heard Celtic was in, involved uh, and want to sign me, I wanted the deal done as quickly as possible. The deal gets done, as you say. You go to Celtic, Gordon Strachan's a manager. What's it like? Dundee United had some great players. We mentioned them, McInnes, Robson, um, many others at that time. But see, when you go to Celtic, what's the training like? Is it step up another level? Aye, aye, aye. aye, aye. There's no getting away from that. Um, like you say, some of the boys at Dundee United, terrific players. And, and still an ability, you know, right up there with the top ones I've played with. But when I went into Celtic, you know, even just the training for Gordon Strachan was so intense and high tempo that I couldn't believe that this was the level that these guys trained at. You know, and I've said before, I walk in, the first person, the first player I meet is Roy Keane, you know, and I'm going, I've watched this guy since I've been growing up, you know, on the training pitch. The, my very first morning, is the, you know, they get a circle and they do a wee rondo where they keep the ball. And that was every morning they did that. And, you know, I'm there thinking, geez, you've got John Hartson, you've got Lenny, Alan Thompson at the time, Petrov was there at the top of his game. Um, you know, and even the Scottish guys were unreal. You know, you look at Sean Maloney, who was incredible talent, who had played with Scotland 21s, Aidan McGeady, unbelievable talent. You know, Nakamura's there. And... You know, I gave the ball away within about three seconds and I'm in the middle trying to, I'm running about like, uh, honestly, like a dog chasing a ball. I can't get it. It was, uh, and, you know, I just thought this is before training starts. What's it going to be like when training starts? So when you went into the, the session and the passing drills and, and the six asides, uh, everything was just crisp and sharp and, you know, and it really mattered to them. These players, when they lost in training, it mattered. And the winning mentality was so different. That's that's the one thing I noticed. I mean, I've I, I seen a wee bit of it, a wee flash it with the, the guys who came from bigger clubs at, to United. You know, Charlie Miller, Derek McInnes, you know, guys like that. The wilty one who who had known it through the Rangers years would moan and, and bite. And you'd always think, what, what the 
started moaning about it. It's just training. When I went to Celtic, every single first-team player was like that. And it, it could cause some arguments at times, but that's why they won. They, they expected to win every game in training and when they went out to play on a Saturday, and that's why they were so successful. You mentioned Roy Keane there, big character, pundit on the telly now, makes everybody laugh with how cutting he is. Was he ever very cutting with yourself? Why often I? Uh, I mean, I only played with him for what three, four months, maybe. But he was a nice fella. He was really nice off the pitch. I didn't expect him to be that way. Quite, quite quiet. Quite uh, down to earth. You know, would chat away. I mean, the younger, some of the younger boys would sit with him at lunch. I mean, when it, since it went onto the pitch, you know, he, he did, he did have a thing. You know, he would just shout and ball at me all the time and it came quite a running joke uh, and then I've told this story before when when we were in training one time it was a wet day and you know pouring the rain and Roy gets the ball down the corner and I charge it to shut him down and I slip genuinely slip wipe him out and everybody oh <laughs> give us that noise and he just got up and he done the same and, and walked away and game played on and about five minutes later ball gets switched to me and I I take a touch and I see him char- he's charging at me and uh, I, I touch him by him uh, and he wipes me waist high and again didn't even say a thing but he, he knew exactly what he was doing he, and gone straight and didn't even say it either and then after it everybody was you know killing herself off in the dressing room about the, the thing but he would always say I mean so I remember one time in training we were doing possession and somebody gave the ball away and I was in Roy's team, somebody gave the bobby, and he just started screaming, Willow! Well, he thought it was me that gave the bobby. He must have just had my name implanted in his head. I was at the other side. And I'm looking, going, why is he shouting at me? And that, again, everybody had a laugh, saying, look, he's just got you in his head for getting the bobby that he's, he's screaming at you. But uh, he was a brilliant, I mean, brilliant just to be around somebody like that. And, and in the boxes, he was incredible would fire the ball at you so hard at your knee, but never go in the middle for getting it away. It was, he just looked at you with that stare and you'd end up going in the middle. You know, you were scared of him. In terms of yourself, see making your debut against United, was that strange at all? And the game itself was mental for each? Aye. Aye, that was strange. That felt particularly weird because um, I think it was something like two weeks later. Um, the week before, Gordon, uh, Gordon Tracking had pulled me at the team hotel and said, look, we really like you as a player, but you're going to have to wait your time just to get in. I said, that's fine. I wasn't expecting anything anything other than that. And the following week, we're sitting at, um, sitting at pre-match and Paul Telfer wasn't there. And I, nobody really noticed at first, but I noticed, I thought, where's Telfer? He wasn't well. And, uh, you know, then Gordon named me on the team. And it was weird, you know, playing against guys who had trained with and, and been brought up with since I was there. It was, uh, it was uh, a strange experience and uh, I didn't play particularly well. You know, I remember getting cramp as well. Must have just been nervous, nervous energy in me and, uh, and we ended up drawing that game. I three each. We were 3-1 up and United scored two late goals. Um, but, of course, when you play against these guys, these guys know your weaknesses, know what you're weak at. So Jim McIntyre would often pull onto the back post onto me because he knew I wasn't particularly good in the air. You know, guys like, I think, Barry Robson, uh, Barry Robson was there, and, and Lee Miller and Fernandez, and that knew how to 
how to play against us. So I found that quite difficult. Uh, it was quite a challenge, but I enjoyed it. It was it was a great a great feeling after it. You know, thinking I'm a couple of weeks in and I've finally got my home debut out the way because I think that's important for players got to Celtic getting a home debut in quite quickly and getting the the fear or, or the nerves of the crowd, 60,000, uh, on your shoulders at the way. In terms of yourself, there was a few injuries at first when you went to Celtic. Was that frustrating in terms of trying to establish yourself in the team? Ah, well, it's always, uh, my knee had always bothered me and I knew what was coming. I knew I wasn't going to um, last much into my 30s, which proved right. You know, I was told that early door, so I was, uh, uh, I thought I might not pass a medical and I did. And I always knew they were going to flare up, but it was frustrating because, you know, I would have loved to have been a Celtic player who played, you know, 300 games or, or whatever. Uh, just the body wouldn't allow me to do it. And, you know, uh, with my knees as well, I got some other weird injuries, broke my foot at Old Trafford, you know, um, you know, had problem with my groin that just any other player could get. And, and they all added up in it. You know, added up to know as many Celtic appearances as I would have liked in the end. One of the games I've got to ask you about for your time at Celtic quite early on is the 8-1 victory over Dunfermline. Even Neil Lennon scores that day. I mean, just describe <laughs> that game. That was, that was weird, that game. Because Dunfermline's always quite a hard place to go, especially when I was with Dundee United. It's to go there and never win. So, going there with Celtic and, and we get uh, a couple of early goals. Uh, and it kind of relaxed us, but just everything, everything we seemed to create or hit went in. And I think that was summed up with Lenny's effort when he got it. I think the fans uh, was as shocked as I was at him scoring that. And you see his face as well. But uh, I just showed how good that team were. You know, when, when you go maybe four or five up in a game, you tend to take your foot off it. That team were were ruthless. Some of the, the forwards we had at that time, you know, one knees up and it was a it was a great feeling to play alongside that. And, you know, as a fullback it was brilliant just to just to go out and attack in a team like that. And you didn't have to worry about defending too much uh, too much of the time. In terms of going there in the January, winning the title that season, brilliant. Your cup tied for the League Cup final, which must have been frustrating, but also, want to ask you about the, the first Old Firm game. That was at Ibrooks. I mean, just what was the atmosphere like playing in that game? Boyhood fan. I mean, I imagine it was it was a big moment for you. It was. I it was it was pretty nerve wracking uh, at the time, and I was playing left back. But again, I'd I'd never been to Ibrooks um, to a to a Ranger Celtic game before. Um, I'd been to Parkhead many a time. Um, throughout the years to see them. So I knew what the atmosphere was like at Celtic Park, but I didn't know what it was like at Ibrox. And it was just special, you know, going out there and just seeing that full stand full of Celtic fans, knowing you were the underdog, you know, hated within the stadium. It was a brilliant feeling. Um, and it was, again, I was playing with such, uh, such top professionals that day for Celtic that, you know, it didn't face most of them. Some, a lot of the guys, I think Bobo played that day, um, you know, you had Lenny and Roy Keane in the midfield. You had, I think you had Petrov as well in there, um, Hartson. All the guys had experienced huge games before. So the majority of our team were well experienced and it helped the younger ones like myself throughout that game. But it was brilliant to go there and win 1-0.
seeing the the first six months getting the title is is that something that gives you the hunger to to just drive on and and think to yourself if this is what I've achieved in the first few months what could I possibly achieve over the next few years yeah yeah that, that gives you an appetite for it you know I always remember when we beat hearts um and, and we'd won the title uh, the celebrations and how good it felt and you know, I know a lot of the work was done before I get in, but it was still it was still a nice feeling to think I'd played my part in that. You know, I'd went to Ibrox and we'd won. I'd, I'd played at some difficult places along that run, and it was great. And, I, I, you know, I couldn't wait for the following season. You know, the Champions League football, you know, actually going to Hamden with Celtic and, and succeeding there. Uh, and, of course, another, another league. We knew it would be difficult. You know, every league you win, I think it's it's even more difficult the year after. You know, everybody's after you. Your fans' expectations get higher, and you have to match them. And I was looking forward to getting started, and uh, you know, I was lucky enough to to follow up with some other uh, league triumphs in the the years to come. You mentioned the fact you follow up with some more league triumphs the next season under Gordon Strachan. Your first real full season at the club, another league title in the bag, but. I want to ask you about the Champions League games because club gets to the last 16, the Nakamura moment against Man United. What was it like playing in the Champions League? Because that's every young boy's dream as, as a youngster. I, well, it was for me. Um, as I was saying earlier, watching Roy Keane grow up, I'd watched that Man United team and it was, it was my favourite thing to watch um, today with football. You know, ITV coming on. I'm watching Man United games constantly in the Champions League, and that was always the the dream for me to play at that level. So to for it to happen within, you know, six or seven months of joining Celtic was an incredible feeling. And and who's the first game against? It's Man United at Old Trafford, you know. So it just everything added up, and I I still don't think I've I've ever felt anything like it when standing out, you know, at Old Trafford and and that tune came on, and. You know, it was just an incredible feeling, and you know the game. The game matched it as well. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like we went down there and got absolutely hammered. We 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 matched Man United. We took the lead. You know, Naka scores the free kick, and and unfortunately in that game, I I broke my foot quite early into the game. Michael Silvestra, um, I, I cleared the ball and it came right through him, and I kicked the bottom of his foot, and so I struggled. For a lot of the first half, came in at half time, and I, I was done. You know, I said to Doc, I was done. But um, the manager and 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 the assistant seemed to think I was doing quite well, so they asked me to play on and, and take an injection in the foot, which never happened. I didn't take an injection, but I says, okay, I'll go and try it again. So you see, I think it's the third goal where Solskjaer scores at the back post. That's me trying to get in at the back post, limping. Uh, with my foot because I was caught too far up the pitch and by that stage I couldn't get back and he, he tucks it in at the back post to win uh, the game for them and shortly after I had to signal to come off but uh, it was a remarkable experience going through watching it on the TV standing out there playing it I've got to ask you about one of the guys who came in and played in that sort of season Tommy Gravison. what was he like as <laughs> game comes for Real Madrid which you think in itself <laughs> is sensational but not the typical Real Madrid player <laughs> no, nah, not the typical person. Uh, never mind Real Madrid player. I mean, he was. Uh, he, he, you've heard some stories, a lot of stories about Tommy, but he, 
it was incredible when he came in, just the, the way he lived his life, how upbeat he was, how much he just thought everything was a carry-on. Uh, and I'd never seen anything like it uh, before as a player uh, coming in. I'd been in that dressing room at United where guys were incredibly funny, you know, and had great banter and things like that. But Tommy's was just it was like a schoolboy coming in and just running riot around the club and... I don't think I don't think anybody knew how to control, if I'm honest. Unbelievable footballer, unbelievable player. And some of the games you see him playing for Celtic, some of the goals he scored, goal at Ibrox he scored, uh, and some big performances he, he gave, but he was just a loose cannon. He was just he had, he just had things buzzing around his head all the time that he had to get out. But uh, it was a great experience having him in the dressing room. In terms of him, what was the kind of maddest things you ever saw him do? The maddest? Uh, used to used to dry hump everybody all the time. Used to grab people. I mean, could be anybody. Physio, doctor, coach, player. He would just grab them from behind. And he just had this thing in his head that that's what he did. And you couldn't, you couldn't get him off. So you, you might do that as a joke for two seconds, but he would continually hold you and grasp you in this bear hug. He was that strong. Um, he turned up almost every day with a pool cue under his arm. He, he found if somebody took him up for a game of pool upstairs when he first came in, and, and then he, t- <laughs> he, he just didn't like getting beat. So I think he went out and got a pool cue, turned up with it under his arm every day at Celtic Park. Um, I just, I mean, just different thing. He, he, he didn't drive a nice car. I always remember that. Didn't he drive a nice car because he says it was just a waste of a waste of time. I think, I think there was was a story that Real Madrid were sponsored by Audi and he could have any Audi that he wanted, but he chose to to get this wee rubbish car um, because it just wasn't his style. He was not. I think he was number two in the world at Call of Duty. Used to go home every summer. Now everybody thinks that footballers jet around the world and go away in holidays to Dubai and Maldives and that. And a lot of them do. Tommy used to go home to Denmark and go to his uh, mum, dad's house and into their basement and sit and play Call of Duty all summer. And he had a porn star girlfriend as well. Imagine that. Huh? <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. What a guy. From somebody like Thomas Gravison, who's got all his stories, I want to ask you about a character who, again, from I don't know him personally, so from the outside looking in, seems like a total opposite and Mr. Serious. And that guy is Stephen Presley. What was he like to, to work with? <laughs> but you know the thing was? I, I used to always think that as well with Elvis. Elvis was... I used to hate playing against him at United, and I used to, even at Celtic, used to always think he, he conned the ref and... You know, don't, we used to always say, don't let Presley, you know, get any refs here. And see when he came, it was absolutely brilliant. It was a funny, funny guy. And that big drab voice that he puts on, used to, the most immaculate dressed man I've ever seen, used to come in with, sometimes with like, well, a lot of times with like a cravat on. Uh, and he'd always go on about his shoes, hand, handmade shoes, he used to always say. Uh, look at these handmade Italian shoes and his big voice. And he was he was hilarious, absolutely hilarious. And he was a good player as well. Couldn't he move, couldn't he run right enough, but fit guy. Um, but uh, he's one I'm glad I've played with. And uh, 
yeah, I, I, I thought he was he was brilliant. <laughs> I remember remember Tommy threw him in the pool one day. We were doing a kill dinner, talking about Tommy Gravison. We were abroad somewhere. I can't remember where it was after a European game. Might have been Moscow. Might have been Moscow actually. And we were doing a cool down and Tommy grabbed him and threw him in the pool. And he was not happy at that. He he just didn't take he didn't like that sort of thing. And uh, Chris Killen and, and Bruni done his room one time, Elvis's room. Or, or uh, more than one time. One of the times was in Austria in pre-season or something, or Switzerland. They left, I'm sure they left a bucket of water, you know, at his door, leaning against his door and chapped his door and when he opened it the bucket of water floods in and floods his feet and he went absolutely mental so he didn't quite like the pranks side of it but he was he was always funny when he was in the bit of wrestling in terms of golden Strachan as a manager very successful three league titles in a row um you were part of those um what was he like to, to work with because obviously we all know the stories of golden I've, I've been lucky enough to be in his company a few times and he's a very funny guy but Tactically, a very good manager. Yeah, yeah, best I worked under by far. Um, brilliant, knew his stuff. His training was exceptional. Uh, I said it earlier on um, high tempo, um, just things that players really loved in. You know, done shape occasionally when there was a big game coming up, um, but only done it for maybe 10, 15 minutes at a time. Seemed to know. A lot with the other, you know, I know he's got analysis and things, but seemed to be sure on what other teams were doing and he was proved right. Um, but just just a, a guy that you wanted to play for. Just And he also had that fear factor. You know, players were, I thought players were scared of him. In a good way, you know, you know they, they didn't want to disappoint him, put, put it that way. And, and when we were successful, you know, he was... He was brilliant, you know, he rewarded you um, and, and he looked after you and, you know, it was it was the best time uh, or the best manager I've ever worked under. You also worked with Tommy Burns during your time at Celtic. You also had the the, the really sad element when Tommy passes away, you go to Tannadice, win the league, which was a perfect way to pay tribute to such a legend of Scottish football and such a legend of Celtic. In terms of the, the funnier times with Tommy, what was it like to work with? Because everyone I've spoken to, you watch Open Goal and other podcasts, nobody's got a bad word to say about him. When I spoke to Hugh Keevans, he said I could speak to you about Tommy for hours and I wouldn't get bored. He's just that kind of guy. Aye. Yes, I mean, everything I hear about him is true. It's quite, that's quite odd to, to hear that about a person that nobody's really got a bad word to say about him because that's, that's the type of guy he was. Incredibly funny. And you know, it, it wouldn't. Well, it, I was going to say when they say jokes, but he would say jokes. But they'd be, they'd be particularly bad jokes. He would say, but they would come out funny. Um, you know, just when people made mistakes in training or that, it, it was never one for, you know, shouting at them or, or saying anything bad. He would have some wisecrack to, you know, to kind of lift the spirits, even if striking would go off in one at half time or, or something like that and Gordon would walk out, Tommy would be there with a, a wee you know, a wee joke to to pick everybody up again. He, he was an incredible man, you know, incredible news football, but what a coach he was as well. That's the thing you you know, with with Tommy, knew his stuff, but I mean I, I was a I was so lucky to work under that uh work under 
that backroom staff at that time and Tommy just brought them all together um, and made everybody laugh. And it was incredibly sad, you know, to, to be there at the club at that time. When he was, he was there ways, you know, and he was such a prominent figure. And then sort of week after week, you would see him, you know, you'd maybe see him for three days. Then before you knew it, it was only a couple of days. Then before you knew it, he was obviously that ill that he couldn't make it in. And that was, uh, that was quite a, a sad time at the club. And, you know, it was weird how that season ended, you know, when Tommy passed away and, and you know, a few weeks before we went to Tanadise, we were well at the title race and then, we're going to end up winning it, you know, and and wear the the t-shirts with Tommy's face on it. It was, it was, uh, it was an incredibly emotional time, and there was there was players and other guys like Aidan and and Darna Day who had been through the youth ranks with him and really looked up him like a father figure who took that time particularly bad. It was a very emotional time, and you can understand why it affected those those guys and and everyone at the club so so badly, as you say, and. To win the title was a perfect sort of way to 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 do it for Tommy, as, as you said, with the T-shirts and the celebration of his life. Gordon Strachan's been on record as saying that he would have liked to have left that summer, um, not because he didn't enjoy his time at the club, but he felt it was the right time. But he felt he had to stay on, of course, after what happened to Tommy, and he didn't want to leave the club in the lurch. Did you notice anything different about Gordon in that last season? Because he, he's another one who took Tommy's death particularly hard. He did take it hard. I always remember shortly after it. You know, he, he had a had a chat with all the players just before training in the training pitch. Very emotional and heartfelt from him. Um, and we we didn't see Gordon like that that much. You know, it was quite a, a surprise to see him like that because um, he kept everything in. You know, even when he was happy, he kept he kept a lot of things in. So it's quite emotional. Told us all to go a walk around the training pitch. For ten minutes just to compose ourselves uh, and and get back into it. But after that, did I see it different? No, no, because he's he's well to win. His love for football has always been constant. Gordon, it was just I suppose we we were the, uh, we were probably complacent. Um, we should have really have built on on what we would uh, put together in the last seven weeks of that season, and and we didn't, you know, and. and Players were injured. You know, I was injured again a lot. Um, there was other bigger players than me that were injured. And we just couldn't, couldn't get it right. And it was a shame for Gordon to leave and leaving kind of low after what he'd achieved the previous three years. In terms of Gordon, a manager who I think gets the credit he deserves now, maybe he didn't get it so much at the time, but I think especially with hindsight, when people look back at the fact the club were cost-cutting at that time and the players they brought in and what he achieved, he gets a lot of credit now, which I'm glad of. Mm. Another kind of funny tale I want to ask you about is Arthur Boric and Aidan McGeady. Is, is the story true that whenever Aidan t- took a shot in training, Big Boric would just stand and refuse to save it? <laughs> I did quite often. He didn't. The two of them just didn't get on. Um, and in certain shooting drills, if they'd had an argument in training, that Arthur would just die. He would just let it in. But that, he knew what he was doing because that would annoy Aidan even more. And uh, and then it, it would just spill over uh, too quickly. But, I mean, there were two, two absolute superstars at different ends of the pitch, but two who had quite a, quite a fiery temper. And when the two of them clashed, it, as I say, it would often spill over. 
in terms of Gordon leaving, Tony Mowbray comes in and the style of this podcast, I'm not asking you to badmouth Tony Mowbray because he's a lovely guy, but it obviously didn't work with Tony Mowbray at Celtic. My personal opinion, looking back, is I felt we tried to change too much too soon. You think of the amount of players that went out the door within the kind of first six months, Gary Caldwell, Steve McManus, Barry Robson. It just felt like a, a new place, Scott McDonald, and the squad that was doing so well was discarded, I think, in hindsight, he would maybe say so a bit too quickly. Yeah. Well, Tony tried to put his own stamp on the team. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, particularly when you look at it, when we ultimately we failed the season before. Um, but again, like, like you were saying there, a lot of big characters, you know, leaders who had done well for the club uh, in, in previous years had departed. And... You know, replaced with players who who weren't who weren't as good as those guys. I think that's the bottom line. If you're getting rid of players, the ones you the ones that you bring in have got to be as good, if not better, than the ones you let go. And I don't think that was the case. And Tony, you know, Tony had played when you watch Tony's teams at Hibs. Um, you know, played brilliant attack football pleasing on the eye and I think he, he, he wanted that at Celtic and I think he thought he would get that pretty quickly and uh, of course it's not as easy as that sometimes you know uh, um, I think he may have thought that a lot of the games or opposition was easier than what they actually were when we come up against and uh, and that often proves fatal and you know in a lot of that time what was in charge seven eight months something like that 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 was that was the case that we went into games with even with the squad we had, we should have won, but you know, quite often we didn't. The game that's remembered with the Mowbray era was the 4 0 at St. Mirren. What was that like in the aftermath? I was well, it was quite weird. I played that game, I was as poor as anybody else on the pitch. And see, see, actually, to be honest, we started the game not too badly. Again, but we had some good players, Samaras and Robbie Keane and guys like that in there. Um, I think Key, you know, played. So guys who have who've went on to do great. Um, but it was quite weird. Not a lot said in the dressing room um, after the game. Obviously, hugely disappointed. I think maybe at that point, Tony might have known that time may have been coming to a close. And uh, we got back on the bus, back to Celtic Park. And, you know, throughout my previous, what, three years at Celtic, you know, a lot of the times had been good or when we'd failed, it was on the last day of the season. So disappointment was there for everybody. That was the first time I'd really seen the anger, a real anger in Celtic fans when we got off the bus and there were a crowd waiting for us there at Celtic Park to, to vent their feelings. And, and to be fair, they were, they were quite right uh, to do that. That was quite tough to take. And we were back in training the next day. Uh, Tony held a meeting um, and just saying that we were sticking together and we'd get through this. And shortly after that, I'm talking a couple of years after that, he was he was let go. You mentioned the fact he's let go. Deal Lennon comes in, kind of rejuvenates the squad. We talked about Roy Keane earlier. What was Robbie Keane like? Because he seemed to just score in basically every game he played in at Celtic in that loan spell. Aye. He was a top player, uh, so he was. You could see that in his first day in training, just a player above above the rest. And he was such a nice guy as well. You know, for I think he was quite a superstar, you know, back in Ireland in the Premier League, all the things he's done. 
was just so down to earth, loved a laugh with the boys, and he just loved his football. He loved Celtic as well, uh, which always helps. I think a lot of the time, or or on that season, Tony brought a lot of players in who, who maybe didn't quite understand the the size and the magnitude uh, a Celtic. I thought Robbie Keane did, even though he was coming from a much better league. He knew what what it meant to the Celtic fans, and I think that's why he was a success to match his ability. Um, so I'm sure he would have been disappointed. I'm sure he would have liked to have signed off his Celtic career in a much more memorable way, but um, he was a top, top player. One of the players that was on loan at that time I want to ask you about, you might not want to talk about it, but he's a player who I look back on at Celtic and I don't normally say this about players, but he's just a player that I just never could take to watching. He just seemed very arrogant from the outside looking in. And that guy is Edson Braffide. I know he played in the World Cup final, but he just, it's terrible to say. I, I wouldn't normally say this about a player, but he just screamed of arrogance watching. Oh. I, honestly, when I seen him playing the World Cup final, I wanted to quit football. I thought, if that guy can play in the World Cup final, what are we all doing wrong here? He was just... I well, he, well, he came from, he was brought in for Bayern, uh, Bayern Munich, was it? I think it was Bayern Munich, anyway, reports that he was on 50 grand a week there, and he acted like that, he acted, he acted you know, he had his own wee group in the, in the changing room, you know, just when you spoke to him, he kind of, you know, one of the guys that would tuck on and things and shrug his shoulders and didn't really, didn't really communicate much with the rest of the squad, and to be fair, he, the guy had ability. He did have ability, but I always remember in training, he just used to try and he used to try and not make people all the time in training, you know, and almost think it was just a carry on. And then, I mean, it came ahead when uh, Neil took the job, and he was uh, uh, the the famous game, the the Ross County game, and I was named in the bench. I was injured in the run up to that. Um, but I just got back fit, and I think it was only five subs at that time. I was named in the bench before Edson, and as soon as Neil named the team, he just got up and walked out hand him and, and left. It didn't stay for the game. So I think that kind of tells you the the type of guy he was. Um, and I give us a shame that that just kind of epitomised that that kind of some of the players that were were in and around the squad at that time. And I think Neil. If I'm honest, Neil looked at that because remember Neil was a coach at the time. Neil had seen what was going on on the training pitch and he'd seen what was going on in the games. I think Neil looked at that and thought, "If I get the manager's job here, this is this is getting fixed," and and he did. Well, you mentioned the fact he, he fixes it in terms of the players he brings in. You've obviously got the likes of Gary Hooper, Anthony Stokes, Chris Commons. You've still got Samaras there, um, Paddy McCourt, Joe Ledley. Scott Brown can go on and on and on. Charlie Mulgrew coming back. That season, the first full season under Neil Lennon, club finishes second in the league but won the Scottish Cup. What was that season like? Because it just seemed that he'd rejuvenated the whole club. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was brilliant. And, and probably one of my most memorable seasons um, because I enjoyed it that much. The, the bunch of guys you mentioned there, so we'd went through a kind of disjointed group of people, you know, having wee cliques in the dressing room to to just one big group like that who everybody got on with each other. It was uh, it was a brilliant place to be in. Look forward to getting into training because Neil's training 
was top notch as well. The players loved getting in uh, and and putting in hard graft for an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and we all got on. It was a great laugh. Our pre-season trips away were brilliant. You know, and the way the way Neil had the team playing was was just so different for the, the season before. And I think you've seen that with the, how the fans reacted to it as well. Um, you know, and, and just the atmosphere around the place was lifted. And it was it was a brilliant season. And uh, albeit for the for the end where we were uh, we eventually lost the league. And that's probably one of my biggest regrets at Celtic losing that league title because I felt particularly bad for Neil but at that time because I don't think he could have done much more. It, the transformation, the place was that great and uh, had some great memories that season, but it was a sore one to take at the end of, end of the year. You mentioned the fact it's a sore one, but for yourself personally, you'd played quite a lot of games that season. Getting into the next season, Neil gets it right, wins the league, the first of the, the current eight in a row, or soon to be nine in a row, depending on if the season ends now or it's played to a finish. Um, what was it like working under Neil when you were in a title race, because he was relentless as a player and in his early time as a manager, I know Scott Brown and players are saying he's mellowed a wee bit now, but he was still had that intensity when his first spell as manager. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was still pretty, pretty much like how he was uh, as a player. If I'm honest, you know, I caught the, I caught the tail end of him as a player, as a captain, and just that desire and will to win. Um, you know, and that snappiness about him. He still had that as a manager. You know, often. Often his temper could could go, which we all seen in TV screens multiple times. But even in the dressing room, um, but the players, he was he was very good at putting his arm around players as well, and they knew what particular ones to do that way. Um, you know who was his match winners, who to treat a wee bit differently. He knew that, you know, pretty early on. And I'm hearing Scott, you know, and uh, saying that he's mellowed now, and I, I believe that because he seems that way now. He's much more experienced now, but. He, he, he was just, he was all Celtic uh, and he wanted to right the wrongs of the year before. Um, and even at the start of that following season where we had quite a shaky, shaky spell and it looked like he might not last, you know, he, he got maybe a wee break. I think it was a game at Kilmarnock, maybe if memory serves me right. He got he got a wee break with, with a couple of the boys pulling him out of hole, but he went on for there and he was ruthless. Uh, and his will to win drove the boys on to that first championship. In terms of that first championship, who are the big characters in that team? Because obviously we know the big players, like Sir Hooper, Winyama, etc. But who were the real big characters that, that led the dressing room? Obviously, Scott Brown's the obvious one. Well, Bruni, of course, Bruni was there. Um, I, I mean, I mean, Joe Edley was was there. Joe Edley, Joe was a great guy, just somebody that everybody liked and got on with, but wasn't he particularly vocal? But that's that that was the way that dressing room was. There wasn't many guys who would go about screaming and you know, it was a it was a change for you know, Gary Caldwell and Stephen McManus and, and things like even Lenny when he was a player and were all very vocal and, and shout things before the game. That that group was was much more mellow uh, and all seemed to go on with each other and seemed to want to do well for each other on the pitch and not let each other down. And I think that's that's where the success came from in that team. You know, even Victor and things like that, very quiet lads, but um, I mean, we all had a laugh together. It was all very, it was again a very funny restroom. But of course, Scott was Scott was always the, the standout kind of driving force behind it and knew 
I knew his role uh, down at Arcade. One of the most talented players who's a good friend of yours, obviously Paddy McCourt. Many people say you were quite a quiet guy until Paddy came in and kind of helped bring you out your shell a wee bit. Um, what was Paddy like as a guy and a player? Because all this, you hear the stories about his fitness, where if it was a run, he'd be kind of lagging behind. But in terms of his ability, it was just it was frightening. Uh, ah, well, listen, he uh, wasn't lagging behind at a run. He, he was probably still at the start line when we were finishing at a run. But it was uh, his ability was... Listen, his ability is up there with the best I've seen. Didn't he, didn't he do much with the ball? Uh, which always baffled me as a fullback because Aidan McGeady and, and other top wingers would move the ball and do tricks, and Paddy just he didn't do much. He just glided by you, which and he would do it with the best. Scored some terrific goals as a guy. I mean, you'll not see many people say a bad word against him, uh, and I got on well with him. You know, roomed with him um, for a number of years. And uh, I, we had a we had a great relationship, um, and he's one that I just wish that he, he got more opportunities, you know, to to play. And I know it's always about his fitness and laughs and joke about his fitness, but there was one. I think it was 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 it two thousand eleven or or something like that, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. He did get himself fit, and he played a number of games and scored a number of important goals. You know, I remember him starting away, starting away at Ibrox. Uh, he played particularly well there as well, and we got a good result. So, just wish he'd got more games. But he was uh, some ability. So he was one v one. You know, you could put him up against the best defender in the world, and he would still glide by him. See, with Paddy, do you think he was a player that maybe in a strange way played in the wrong wrong era? Because you look at the kind of the nineties and the eighties, and you think, imagine him in that era with the. Like, Almost like a George Best-esque kind of guy where he would have just glided past everybody. Maybe, maybe. It's just, I mean, at that time, when, when Gordon Strachan brought him in, Strachan was much into, you know, he was big in fitness. He was big on, you know, stats and the fitness coach would put up your stats, how far you'd run in the game and this and that. And that was all just coming into the game. So maybe that just didn't suit Paddy's, you know, Paddy's game. But, I mean, in terms of ability, he was... He was head and shoulders above most uh, at that time in Celtic, and even when I was I left, looking at the players that came in and on big big money or, or paid, you know, big transfer fees. In terms of ability, it wasn't much better than Paddy. In terms of yourself, Mark, you mentioned the fact that because of injuries, you didn't get to play as many games for Celtic as ultimately you'd have liked, but you still played many games for the club. You won league titles. You were a part of a, a cup winning teams. You played with. The likes of Roy Keane, Robbie Keane, Petrov, Hooper, Ledley, some of the Yama, these big players. When it came to leaving Celtic, was the attraction of Bristol City down to Derek McInnes? Well, I've been totally honest. I mean, I was I was struggling at that time when I left Celtic. There wasn't a, you know, when you get an injury and you're leaving a club, it does get around a wee bit. I'd went to Leeds before that just for a medical and. Uh, I failed my medical because I'd had a hard session at Celtic the day before and my knee had, you know, it was pretty swollen for that, which is the norm for a lot of people and they failed me on my medical. Now, I think word got around at that time, so there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of options and just by chance, I was in I was in holiday in Florida, way party actually, uh, and the families, we were staying in a villa together and I went out running one day Run the villa, uh, run the complex in Florida, and I meet Derek McInnes, 
and Derek, you know, an old teammate of mine, so we get chatting. And he, I remember him saying, you know, I, I thought you couldn't run in concrete. I thought your knee was done. And I says, no, I can run it. It's fine. I says, obviously, it swells up. And Derek had had other injuries, and he knew me as a, a person as well. So he says, okay, leave it ways. And that was as much I heard. Came back a couple of weeks later, invited me down um, to to really join him in pre-season. And I don't. I think he didn't want to see it. it was a trial um, at the time, but that's that's what it turned out to be. And I done all the pre-season with, with Bristol City. Went away to Spain with him. Came back, played. I think six or seven, six or seven pre-season games with him and done pretty well. And uh, and he eventually offered me a contract. But at that time, it was quite difficult for Derek with the board at Bristol City. I mean, it was a lot going on behind the scenes there. Um, so I think he had to be sure who he was signing. And uh, he signed me. And, you know, unfortunately, I've, I've said it before, I've said it today as well before, that I just wasn't, I just didn't give him enough. I didn't play well enough. Um and I was well short of what was required in that year at Bristol. And unfortunately, Derek lost his job. I think it was in January or something like that. He lost his job. Um, and it was a shame. But you know, it worked out well for him because he went to Aberdeen not long after and he's been there ever since. Well, that's very true. Very successful as well. In mm. terms of yourself, you can back up the road to Dundee United and then go to Dumbarton to finish your career. I mean, in those last few years, was the, was the knee causing you real trouble? And... In terms of playing, was it playing because of your love of the game rather than playing because, not because you wanted to, because obviously you wanted to keep playing, but putting yourself through that pain, would you only really have done that again for like a Dundee United, a club that meant a lot to you? No, I was, listen, I was wanting to keep playing because I was aware, like I said at the start of the conversation, that I knew I was told when I was 16 that, you know, looking at my knees, I wouldn't last much into my 30s. So I knew I should still have a few years left, but my knee was particularly bad at that time. Um, and again, that, that showed with, with the amount of games I actually played. Uh, when I went to United, my, my, my previous agent had, had left me, uh, Darren Jackson, to be a coach at Dundee United. So he knew my history. He'd been my agent for six years, so he knew what my knee was like. And Jackie McNamara and Sid had obviously known that as well. So I played a limited number of games, um, but still contributed, I, I thought, pretty pretty decent to the run we went on and got to another Scottish Cup final. Um, and by the time I got to Dumbarton, I knew myself that was, it was uh, time was coming to a, a close. And when I finished the season at Dumbarton, I knew that I, I wouldn't be right, you know, take money off a, another club to go and... Um, to go and play a handful of games or to miss, you know, I was missing a lot of training at that time as well um, on medical advice that I had to, you know, I had to really manage it and, and only train maybe one day a week or two days a week. And that, I, I didn't like doing that. I liked training every day and uh, that became a problem. So I thought that's when I knew the time was right. How do you reflect back, Mark, in your career as a whole and getting the Scotland cap and amongst winning the league titles and the Cups? I mean, it's a great career that many people would would give their right arm for. Well, obviously, I feel lucky. Um, that can you hear me over that? That's brilliant. Okay. Outside. Uh, no, I feel lucky that uh, I've had the career I had. Uh, you know, grateful to the people who gave me the the opportunity to do it. Obviously, there's something in me that I just wish that I did have more appearances. That I didn't have the injuries that I 
that I got. Um, I believe that perhaps if, if I could have stayed injury-free, that I may have stayed at Celtic for longer than, than I did. You know, six and a half years was a great haul, but I still think I'd, I'd the mentality stay there. But I knew physically I couldn't keep up with the demands of what was needed to play for the club. So, you know, yeah, I'm delighted at what I achieved, but always something in me that I thought I could have achieved a wee bit more. Or, or what if I didn't get injured? What could I have achieved? The last question I've got for you, Mark, is what advice would you give to any young footballer now who is in a similar position to you? Because you were in a position, as you know, at Dundee United where there was lots of interest. You turned it down initially and signed a new deal and then you joined Celtic, as you say, when the time was right and you went on to play a big part there in terms of winning league titles. So in terms of giving the young players advice, I think you're one of the perfect ones to do it. I think it always just, you know, keep grounded and work as hard as you can. Um, you know, the game's changed that much, even for when I've retired. Um, that a lot of the work goes into actually your lifestyle off the pitch and, and live, live the, you know, the best lifestyle you can. Uh, work as hard as you can, even uh, out with, uh, as I say, off the football field, in the gym. And that will serve you well, but you know, I think if you always keep grounded and, and stick to your roots, you'll be doing well uh, when the big opportunities come along or when you're playing for a big club, it will serve you well in the future. Brilliant, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks again. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in